This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. How's your snow day going? Uh, For those of you who get snow days, I know that there's an awful lot of people in this province going, St. John's now, bit of snow and they all got to shut everything down. Uh, Anyway, here we are. (laughs) And uh, we will keep you informed throughout the course of the day. Uh, We've got a bit of a a winter storm happening here now. It's starting to pick up a little bit and uh, the um, Environment uh, uh, Canada meteorologists had indicated that of course it was going to pick up through the course of the day. So that afternoon commute is going to be the, the big one for a lot of people who happen to be out there working uh, like the many people who uh, provide essential services so please be careful uh, as we get uh, towards the supper hour when things are really going to peak with the high winds and the um, yeah, it's pretty coming down pretty good out there now Dave isn't it it's uh, pretty snowy out there now anyway a lot of people looking forward to a little bit of uh, snow cover um, and uh, be careful of course when you're uh, clearing away as well well yesterday We spoke with the president of the Association of Allied Health Professionals, Gordon Piercy, about the 26 occupation groups that he represents in health care. Most of those groups are are small and highly specialized, and while not great in number, their role in health care is essential. Well, the same is true of the role played by my next guest and the people she represents. Dr. Janine Humbert is a clinical child psychologist and president of the Association of Psychology, Newfoundland and Labrador. Hello. Hello, Linda. Nice to chat with you. Happy New Year. Same to you. And it seems to me we always seem to chat very early in the new year each year. And uh, I remember uh, last year our conversation centered a lot around a a survey that the association had released showing that demand for psychology services had increased dramatically, leading to longer wait times, all uh, amid a continued exodus of psychologists from the public system. So what's the current situation? Have things improved or gotten worse? Well, I was going to say partly I will give you a stay tuned because we are just in the process now of repeating that survey with our members uh, leading into Psychology Month, which is February. So we're hoping to have some updated um, actual statistical results to be able to share where we are looking at things like has the situation changed? Has it improved? Have more people left? Has, you know, has the situation stabilized? Certainly we know anecdotally um while you know there have been some initiatives there have been at least um some efforts uh made on behalf of government to you know try to improve the situation it's still pretty dire and it's still um unfortunately both a combination of some systemic issues um more so around uh things like job satisfaction respect um autonomy um so you know things that aren't a quick fix Plus, the issue is, like many, uh, well, as you're just hearing about your veterinarians, it takes on average 10 years to train a new psychologist. Um, So it's not like we have huge numbers coming out of the pipeline immediately. So we're still continuing to work on both some short-term and some longer-term solutions. So where are psychologists going? Are they giving up the practice altogether? Are they going to private practice? What's happening? 
Um, we're certainly seeing some retiring, um, and we are definitely seeing uh, numbers going into private practice. Uh, one of, to me, still one of the most fascinating uh, results that came out of that survey last year is contrary to popular opinion, um, financial compensation was actually ranked about number six in terms of the reasons why people were leaving um, things like health care and education to go into private. But again, it was far more around autonomy and ability to practice to scope um, some of those more independence issues, which, I mean, we've heard that from many, many of our professions for sure. Workplace um, uh, conditions as well. We've been hearing that from a lot of healthcare professionals lately. And um, you mentioned autonomy, but uh, it doesn't have anything to do with, uh, you know, um, workload and being able to control that workload. Oh, there's no question. Workload, um, ability to, as I say, practice to scope. So knowing what you are trained as an expert in and being treated as an expert with those skill sets and not being uh, treated as an interchangeable uh, clinician certainly is a big piece of it. But also when they're looking at ways to, say, improve efficiency, realizing that especially for something like psychological services, um, you know, a one attendance does not equal a second attendance does not equal a third attendance, that uh, caseloads can really vary in terms of intensity, in terms of the type of interventions that are needed, um, and that um, making sure that um, the workplace is able to, um, I guess, listen to the psychologist when they say, actually, we have evidence that shows this is the best way to treat this type of condition, and it is going to require this number of sessions, or this is what we know is the best intervention possible. Um, And what we've said from day one is just including psychologists in some of that decision-making process, um, as opposed to um, implementing it and then having to kind of feel like we're fighting back against it. Right, because I imagine patient number one uh, may require a certain number of sessions, whereas patient number two might be much more intensive. Indeed. Um, And there's been such a focus, and we appreciate this because we know the demands are out there, and we feel for anyone who's trying to access services, um, but when there's an emphasis on, you know, see greater numbers, see people faster, get them out sooner, um, you know, that, that pressure to see people, see people, see people, reduce waiting lists without understanding meaningfully what type of services do people need, that's where some of the uh, frustrations have come in because end of the day um, yes we're tired after several years of pandemic and um, we know that mental health needs have increased but it's when you know what is needed um, and you're not able to provide it and you see clients either not able to access appropriate services or um, you know feeling like you're not able to provide what you know it is they need that's what we've been hearing from our members in terms of frustration I want to ask you about the response from uh, the Department of Health and regional health authorities when we come back after the break. My guest today on On Target is Dr. Janine Hubbard, clinical child psychologist and president of the Association of Psychology of Newfoundland and Labrador. We'll be back right after this. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, 
Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. And we're back. My guest today on On Target is Dr. Janine Hubbard, a clinical child psychologist and president of the Association of Psychology, Newfoundland and Labrador. We were talking about some of the concerns raised uh, by psychologists, uh, particularly those in the public system. And uh, Janine, I was going to ask you, has the Department of Health or or the regional health authorities responded to some of the concerns raised uh, by um, uh, psychologists in the public system? I actually have to say we've had some uh, remarkably receptive conversations with Minister Osborne and uh, with some of the members of his staff. Um, And as we sort of said, these are big issues. They are not ones that have easy solutions. Um, But we've been impressed with the fact that we've had these ongoing conversations and certainly we're looking forward to continuing them. Uh, Our psychologists in education uh, haven't seen quite the same a degree of responsiveness so that may indeed depending on what comes up from our uh, updated survey results that may be an area of increased focus and attention uh, perhaps coming up this year as part of psychology month and moving forward you mentioned education so is is there a division there that's a you know certain number of psychologists uh, relegated to healthcare and others within education how does that work Oh, we have, I mean, these are specialty positions. So absolutely, we have educational psychologists or school psychologists working in the school system. I believe we have 40 positions uh, in the K-12 system. We also have psychologists at the post-secondary um, level. And then, like I say, we have uh, clinical psychologists within the healthcare system. So they all have, um, you know, very different kind of practice. Um, but one of the things that we've been seeing in education, much as we have experienced in health as well is uh, some difficulties with role delineation and understanding the unique skill set and how a psychologist can act in a very complementary role within um, a multidisciplinary team. And um, so, you know, there's there's ongoing work uh, continuing there for sure, as well as ongoing work around caseloads and workloads and expectations. You uh, mentioned the understanding of role delineation. Does it come down to simple education? Sometimes. Um, And that's actually one of the other things that has been happening is certainly, you know, meeting with managers, meeting um, with those um, involved in decision making and helping to understand that. And again, it's not that one discipline is better than another. We've stressed this over and over. It's that we all have complementary but different skill sets and that a system that tries to make everybody, uh, you know, fit one mold, uh, you lose both the specialized skill sets, but you also then get increased dissatisfaction from all of your employees because they're not being allowed to fully practice the scope to really be able to complement each other. Um, So definitely uh, some of it is uh, some education and some of it is also making sure that people have a willingness to listen um, and a receptiveness to that information. Right, because I imagine that leads to job dissatisfaction and frustration and all of those things that, you know, make you sit back and go, okay, what are my options? Absolutely. Um, And I mean, psychologists, we are fortunate that 
Um, you know, there are options available to us. And like I say, end of the day, it comes down to a frustration of knowing that there are people out there. We know how much people are hurting. We know how many people are out there with needs that are being unmet. And it's that frustration of wanting to help. I mean, that's why people go into the profession. That's ultimately, you know, that's, that's, part of all of this for well any of us in allied health um but also education that's a desire to you know to teach and to help and to make a difference in people's lives and when you feel really frustrated that there are systemic issues that are preventing you from doing that yes absolutely that can cause job dissatisfaction that can cause things uh, i mean that's very much one of the factors we know in workplace burnout um and um so you are seeing some of those factors at play We've all heard about uh, greater demand, uh, particularly uh, as a result of the pandemic. Has that evened out? Uh, Is it continuing to grow? What's happening? Oh, no. I mean, the the demand is out there. There's no question. Um, And I would say um, what we've seen this past year, um, just with a lot of the increased financial stresses, for example, that people are under, that's only going to continue to escalate, whether that's because people are feeling that increased tension, that increased stress, whether it's because they're needing to cut back in one of the places they're cutting back, or perhaps some of the self-care things. Um, you know, we know that exercise and good nutrition and all of, and you know, um, making sure that you're balancing out, you know, some time off. People are working more hours. Uh, they're feeling that strain. So we know that that's all an ongoing influence on um, individual stress levels. It can influence things like um Family conflict, uh, marital conflict, um, we know that it can have the potential to influence things like substance use and abuse uh, as a maladaptive coping strategy. You know, it's, it's an ongoing spiral. Um, you're um, a, a child psychologist. Do you, do you find that um, the issues that bring children to you, uh, to your attention, are, are they, um, do they mirror adults? Are they differ from them? Are they by and large the same? How to, you know, what are you seeing? Um, I, I think we've always seen a combination of some things that are parallel and some things that are very unique uh, to uh, just as an example. And actually one thing where, again, I will give a shout out to Minister Osborne for having been very receptive to uh, some information regarding ADHD and assessment of both children and adults, as well as access to medications, uh, given some of our um, challenges with lack of uh, family physicians. Um, But for kids, we know that in particular, the role of psychologists in early assessment, early diagnosis um, can be life altering. And so trying to um, increase access for that, trying to make sure that uh, children are being appropriately assessed by well-trained credentialed individuals is, you know, a, a really important factor in all of this. 
Um, we've talked about this before, and um, uh, Christmas is an exciting time for many. Uh, it's a stressful time for others, but uh, once the holidays are over, the reality, of course, of the winter ahead starts to set in. I'm one of those people that uh, is a little bit sad when i got to put away all the Christmas stuff, even though I'm exhausted. Um, does that have an impact on people getting, you know, beyond the, the holiday season and into the long winter ahead? Oh, no kidding. Um, I mean, listen, I was looking around at my place, and while it looks much less cluttered, it's no longer nearly as sparkly and shiny, and you kind of think, oh. Um, and in fact, um, although it actually does not have any research evidence behind it, the third Monday in January, which is coming up next Monday, um, was labeled as Blue Monday, as kind of the bleakest day of the year. Like I say, not an actual thing. It was actually a marketing gimmick by a travel agency doing some smart thinking about people, the fact that people might want to, you know, try to escape to someplace warmer, but there is a lot going on right at the moment between financial stress post-Christmas, the idea of the long holidays, the, um, you know, feeling cooped up. There's a lot that is happening emotionally right now that we can certainly chat about. And as stressful as, you know, getting ready for Christmas can be, it gives us a goal. It gives us something to do. Oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do those things. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden that goes away. And, yeah. and so I can see where, you know, a, a marketing uh, agency would say, hmm, here's something to plan, <laughs> a vacation. Uh, so um, is that part of what, you know, gets people a little bit down is not having that purpose, not having that thing to do? Well, certainly it does feel like there's a long time between kind of your next really big planned activities. But also I think, um, because remembering that even positive stress is still stress. Um, So all of that running around, all of that, you know, socializing, all of those things, where all of our bodies kind of do a bit of a crash afterwards because we've been probably busier than we normally are kind of on a regular basis. And at a certain point, you know, we need a little bit of time to kind of recover from that physically, uh, financially, emotionally, all of those things. Um, And, you know, that's that whole, well, partly why we sometimes try to make resolutions, but then most people make unrealistic resolutions, so then they get discouraged about that. Um, So, yeah, this can be, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a blue time of year for people. Yeah, I guess we tend to, you know, beat up on ourselves and we tend to feel that little bit of guilt, you know, oh my goodness, maybe I spent too much money. Oh my goodness, I ate a little too much of these things. I'm feeling a little bit sluggish, you know. Uh, Oh my goodness, I really uh, overdid it with, uh, you know, the imbibing. Um, Can we be easier on ourselves and not beat up so much? We absolutely need to be kinder to ourselves. And I like to use this time of year once you've kind of allowed yourself permission to have that little bit of a crash. Um, It's a good time of year for some reflection and to sort of go, oh, okay, yeah, you know what? What are the things that actually I'm really pleased that I've accomplished or what are the things that I know make me feel good? And maybe they've gone on the back burner for, you know, the last 
six weeks or so. So what are the things that I do want to reflect on? So using this, because it is often a quieter time of year, to actually do some of that conscious reflecting. Um, because we know that the more we kind of ignore problems and, you know, try to push them off and, you know, bury our heads in the sand, the bigger those stressors get. So although it's hard, this is kind of a good time of year to, like I say, really contemplate and reflect, if not make resolutions per se. Are the winter blahs a real thing? They are. Um, they absolutely are for roughly uh, 15 to 30 percent of the population in a mild form. And actually, two to six percent of the population, um, it's a form of clinical depression. So in other words, seasonal affective disorder? Yeah, well, the, the, what we used to call it, it got, uh, it actually had the name changed a couple of years ago to uh, depressive disorder with seasonal pattern um, to reflect the fact that for some people, um, the winter blues can, in fact, be really disabling. For a lot of us, yeah, it makes us want to eat more carbohydrates and curl up and, you know, binge watch on the couch and maybe not socialize so much and, you know, maybe, like I say, go for the comfort foods, especially carbohydrates, um, and just be a little bit more lethargic and maybe a little more irritable. Um, that can affect a lot of us to certain to a certain degree. But as I said, there is a small percentage of the population who see those symptoms beginning kind of as winter onset and we start to lose um, daylight and then they see a rapid improvement in the spring. Um, and if you're somebody who that sounds like your pattern, um, there are solutions out there. There are actually very effective treatments. So we don't have to suffer through. We can actually make it a little bit more um, treatable for a number of people. Is it simply the, the change in the season? Uh, you know, it's a little bit colder, harder to get out and around. Or is it has to do with light or a little bit of combination of both? A little bit of combination both for, yes, for lots of us. I mean, no, you're, you're not as keen to go for a walk um, around the block when it's cold and blustery and dark at 4.30. Um, there are some theories that the lack of exposure to daylight um, and sort of that lack of vitamin D exposure um, for individuals who are susceptible to it can make a real difference. Um, so that there are, um, these become well-researched and much more widely available. There are things like light therapy treatments um, that um, are, like I say, inexpensive and um, relatively inobtrusive. You put the light on beside you in the morning when you're reading your emails and having your morning cup of tea um, that have been shown to have good evidence, um, making sure you're getting enough vitamin D. Um, as a population in Newfoundland and Labrador, we know that we're chronically vitamin D deprived. The only thing I always caution is check with your family physician or your pharmacist because vitamin D can interfere with the absorption of some other medications. So I always like to put that out there. Um, but there are some people who find that making sure that those levels are kind of where they should be can make a big difference. And when in doubt, sometimes it's some behavior therapy. So sometimes it's the working on those lifestyle issues. 
um, like getting the exercise, getting the health, slightly healthier eating. And sometimes it can be, um, you know, actual uh, psychotherapy to address more of the depressive uh, stock patterns that can come along with uh, clinical depression. Right. A little combination of both, because I would imagine, you know, if you're uh, you're. Arthritis, for instance, is aggravated by your weight. You're going to get more down because your mobility has changed. So um, health, um, physical health and mental health often go hand in hand. Oh, there's no question. Um, And again, when the external factors, things like the snow, there are some people who love the snow and uh, embrace it. Right now here in St. John's, it's pretty gray and gloomy. The other biggest piece of advice I can give for anyone is um, whenever possible and it's sunny outside in the winter, get out. Um, get go for a walk. Follow the lead of your dog. Um, or borrow somebody's dog. Get that exercise, but get that sunlight exposure as well. So if you're someone who is driving to work in the dark and sitting in a windowless office all day, and then driving home in the dark, if you can find a way to get outside in the middle of the day, even if it's for 15 or 20 minutes, or even if you can find a way to go and eat your lunch by a window where you've got some sunlight coming in. Um, there's research that shows that that can make a huge difference on your energy levels and your mental health um, and um, help to fight some of those winter blues. Yeah, be more like your dog. Dogs seem to love the snow. <laughs> well, they love the snow, but they also love the curling up in the sunbeam, you know, and uh, having, a bit of, having a bit of a snooze while still getting their sunshine exposure. That's true, too. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit more about that when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is uh, clinical child psychologist and president of the Association of Psychology, Newfoundland and Labrador. Dr. Janine Humbert will be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Our guest today on On Target is Dr. Janine Hubbard, uh, a semi-regular, I guess you could say, on the show. And we were talking a little bit about uh, the winter blues, the winter blahs, Blue Monday, that sort of thing. Can people set uh, realistic goals when it comes to dealing uh, with those, uh, those winter blahs? They sure can. Um, And again, this is where it comes back to that, let's be kind to ourselves. We spend the whole holiday season, you know, trying to be kind to others. Maybe now's the time where we want to really look at some self-care and some self-kindness and compassion. Uh, So there's a couple of things. One is remembering that, you know what, um... Maybe, uh, again, a tropical holiday isn't in the budget or isn't realistic for a variety of reasons, but maybe planning some small activities, some small things to be looking forward to. Maybe it's a chance to go and have a coffee or, you know, a walk with somebody that you only saw very briefly over the holidays or didn't get to see. Maybe it's setting up, um, you know, an overnight excursion somewhere. Maybe it's simply planning, um, you know, something 
a little different for dinner and a board game evening. It can be really small things, but it's making it intentional and planning it and um, looking ahead to it as a bit of a goal and as something to be looking forward to. Um, because somehow we seem to do that to ourselves every year where, you know, we do all those things through the holidays. And then we just got, get caught up in all the mundane, everyday things that have to happen throughout the rest of the uh, you know, the winter, as opposed to let's plan a few things like that. And then in terms of goals or, um, you know, maybe, as we sort of said, there's some things that you'd like to work on. Um, radical lifestyle changes don't work. Um, making huge changes uh, very rarely last very long. Uh, so this, there are a couple of things that we do to ourselves that are really unkind. We make very vague unrealistic uh, goals for ourselves. Um, we don't plan for what's going to happen when we slip up. Life happens. Events happen. You might have planned to be, you know, making sure you were uh, getting more exercise and then, yeah, you had a snowstorm hit. And what we tend to do is a lot of all or nothing thinking when that happens. Um, and also remembering that, listen, Maybe January isn't the time of year for you to try to do anything other than, you know, just get through the day. And if that's the case, that's okay. Um, but it's really, uh, when we talk about like making behavioral changes, it's making small baby step goals that are measurable and um, that are attainable or achievable. They're realistic. So as opposed to saying, I want to, you know, have a whole healthy routine in 2023, it could be the, you know what, I'd like to make sure that once or twice a week, I walk down to the mailbox to get my mail as opposed to stopping and picking it up on the drive home. Or I would like to, by the end of February, make sure I'm having... Uh, two more servings of vegetables a day and then work backwards in terms of the, okay, well, in order for me to do that today, I need to make sure that I'm including a vegetable because maybe over the holidays I didn't include so many of those um, and working on very um, attainable goals, but ones that you can measure. Uh, for me, goal setting, it's kind of like when I have parents come in and they say, well, I tell my kid, be good. Okay, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. How on earth would I expect a kid to know what that means? The same thing for ourselves. If your goal is be healthy, what does that mean to you? And you might look at a big down-the-road goal, but you also want to say, what is one small thing that I can do today? What is one thing that maybe I can do a couple of times this week that will help me get towards that goal? And if I get to the end of the week and realize that that was a lousy goal because that just really didn't work for me, it's okay to then say, all right, let me change it up a little bit. Let me try. That didn't work. Maybe it was because this was a bad week. Maybe it's because it was a bad goal. And I want to try to tweak it a little bit to make it something that doesn't feel like I'm sacrificing, that doesn't feel like I'm radically changing my lifestyle. Um, so be kind to yourselves is really, again, the, the big message there. That absolutely, if this is, something that you want to work towards. There's a lot of support out there and there's lots of ways to attain those goals, but you want to do it in a way that's sustainable over the long term. 
and make it fun, I think, is a, yeah. is a key thing. Um, it strikes me that, you know, in other northern countries, Europe and Asia in particular, they, they appear to embrace winter. But Canadians, for some bizarre reason, seem to hate it, which is shocking when you think about it. We live in a northern country. Why is that? Um, it, it could could a lot of our general malaise simply be chalked up to to our attitudes towards winter? Because I have to be honest, I, I didn't used to like winter until I had a little fellow that got involved in hockey. Now I love hockey. And when hockey's over, I'm like, ah, hockey season is over. It's summer now. Wah. <laughs> well, I think you're right. It's finding something that appeals. And if you're someone who can embrace the, you know, an outdoor activity, maybe you decide, um, again, that you want to go out and walk the woods. You want to learn how to snowshoe. You want to do something that involves outdoor activities and snow. That's fantastic. Now, again, you can't always count on snow, at least in some parts of the province. But for some, let's switch it around a little bit. Let's say, okay, winter is the time when I know I'm probably going to be spending more time indoors. So what are some things that I can embrace about that? Um, Maybe it's saying, you know what, I want to do a little bit more home cooking and I'm going to embrace the fact that I have more time indoors um, and I'm going to, you know, make some soups and some stews and some things to, you know, that are homey and comforting and uh, tuck them away in the freezer or share them with some friends. Um, but as opposed to feeling the, ugh, I'm trapped indoors, go, yay, I'm trapped indoors for the day. Um, I still laugh because several years ago, in anticipation of what I thought was going to be a one to two day storm, I went and bought myself ingredients for granola and two types of soup. Um, which I then ate for a week while trapped inside the house after snow again. Uh, but those were my, um, you know, snow day plans. Or maybe it's the you want to take up a hobby. Maybe you want to, again, doing it in an conscious way of saying this is great you know what i have more time indoors in the evenings at the moment um i want to you know i want to develop this skill i want to or i want to read these books or i want to take like i said but consciously saying i'm taking advantage of the fact that it's not great outside so i'm going to embrace that in the same way that people are really good at embracing the go out and enjoy the outdoors if you're not a winter person, that's okay. Like I say, it's just, it's kind of switching the mindset. And again, it's being intentional with your goal setting. Um, so that maybe by spring, you're like, hey, this is really cool. I learned to knit or I did this woodworking project or, you know, I accomplished X as opposed to, well, I watched a lot of Netflix. And again, if downtime to watch a lot of Netflix is a goal for you, that's okay too. It's There's no judgment. You don't have to be productive. It's kind of like those early days of um, the pandemic. Some people cope by being very productive and others coped by um, cocooning. They're all valid. It's just it's doing it with conscious and mindful thought. Indeed. And it struck me as you were talking, you know, I don't think I've ever seen anyone grumpy on a snowmobile. <laughs> 
<laughs> just saying. I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody sitting on a snowmobile going, eh. <laughs> or, or having a snowball fight for that matter. Uh, you're usually laughing your butt off when you're having a snowball fight, unless somebody has one of those terrible ice balls. Then that's a whole different story. But anyway. <laughs> as you said, embrace the way a lot of kids will celebrate it and go out and build a snowman. Go out and make some snow angels. Again, follow the example of the dogs. Uh, <laughs> but um, like I say, it's all about kind of how you approach it in your mindset. That being said, of course, we never want people feeling like they artificially need to feel like happy. That gets into a whole other topic of like toxic positivity that you and I can spend a whole other hour on another time. Um, so it's the, if you can shift your thinking a little bit, maybe that helps. And if that really doesn't work for you, again, that's okay too. My guest today on On Target, Dr. Janine Hubbard, clinical child psychologist and president of the Association of Psychology, Newfoundland and Labrador. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. And we're back. My guest today on On Target is Dr. Janine Hubbard, clinical child psychologist and president of the Association of Psychology, Newfoundland and Labrador. And uh, uh, Janine, we all, we all have changes in mood, of course. That's perfectly normal. Um, when do people know when things are perhaps a little more serious or no longer manageable? Oh, excellent question. Because um, you're quite right. What often happens is kind of a gradual shift that we ourselves may or may not notice until kind of you go, oh, wait, um, I'm really having trouble with this. So um, sometimes even checking in with loved ones or partners or as loved ones and partners, and, you know, if you're really starting to see behavioral changes um, in someone in your life, it's really important to kind of check in uh what we always consider clinically is um our symptoms starting to interfere with daily functioning so i mean listen we all have the odd nights perhaps where you know we don't sleep because we're worried or stressed about something but is that something that's starting to happen with enough frequency that um it's interfering with your ability to um get up every day and do your job are you finding you know if you're seeing that any kind of symptoms that you're having are starting to interfere with either your work um, or your interpersonal relationships or you know your family um, dealings if you're starting to see that it's more than just a one-off day here or there um, then it is worth reaching out and I know we've discussed the idea that uh, you know there are shortages of clinicians but one of the things that has gone really well in the last couple of years is the availability of quick single session or very short-term access to services and I always encourage people reach out early reach out before it becomes uh, at a point that it's uh, starting to interfere so I mentioned before January is a good time for a little bit of introspection a little bit of self-reflection maybe it's a good time to look and go and again this can be any aspect of your daily functioning Eh, have things gotten a little out of control have things gone from being mild or an occasional issue to perhaps something that's happening more than I'd like to admit. Uh, and like I say, sometimes having that frank conversation with uh, loved ones or coworkers or family, 
it's a hard discussion to have, but it may be exactly what's needed um, to uh, start a conversation and either have them reach out and provide that support. But sometimes it's just a matter of starting that conversation and saying, yeah, you know what, I'm really starting to struggle with this. Uh, can you help me? Those are the most powerful words you can say. You sort of touched on it there. Do family, friends, or coworkers tend to see changes before you do? And how do you you raise that with someone? Um, You know, how do you say, look, uh, I noticed, you know, don't get me wrong here, but I noticed that you're doing more of this side of the thing and I'm a little worried about it. How do you raise it so that a person doesn't, that their first reaction isn't just, what? What are you talking about? No, that's impossible. Well, and you may be prepared for that first reaction to not be terribly well-received or dismissed or ignored, and that's okay because sometimes even just bringing it up on the radar. um, So sometimes it's raising it and going, you know, I may be wrong. Hey, maybe this isn't the case, but I just wanted to let you know that I've noticed this, um, and we don't have to talk about it today, but if that's something that, you know, you want to talk more about or you want some help with, just let me know. So sometimes it's just opening the door, the tiniest little crack for that discussion. Um, but it is, it's very much like if you have... Um, you know, people that you only see once in a while, you're able to see bigger changes in them. Um, you know, you've got that outside perspective. So sometimes that can be really helpful. Other times we have people desperately trying to mask and hide how much they're suffering and how much they're hurting and how much they're struggling. And coworkers and family would have no idea. And in fact, would probably be shocked to, you know, hear that that, um, you know, smiley, happy, um, outgoing colleague that you really enjoy, you know, and you think is, uh, you know, amazing at their job. Meanwhile, you may be surprised to learn that they are struggling. Um, so sometimes it's self-reflection. Sometimes it's being brave as a loved one, you know, opening the door for that discussion. Do you find uh, people now a little more willing to come forward uh, to a professional, say, or or to a a loved one for that matter and say, you know what, I'm not doing okay? I think that's probably one of the biggest uh, changes that we've seen, well, certainly over my career, like over the last 10 years or so. I think there has been much more openness. Certainly, my goodness, you want to talk the difference of kids and teens. Certainly within uh, the younger generation, the openness and willingness to say, yeah, I go and see my psychologist. Or, yeah, I have these um, concerns around my mental health. Sometimes the pendulum has gone too far the other extreme there. Um, and we need to normalize some emotional uh, issues. Um, but in some areas and in some fields, it's coming. There are still some taboo areas. Uh, we still, you know, have lots of research that shows that men are less likely to reach out. They're more likely to demonstrate depression through physical symptoms um, and through things like anger and irritability um, so that it still can look very different in different individuals. And, you know, we still have stigma about talking about substance use. We have stigma about talking about uh, financial stress. There are still a long way to go, um, but we certainly have been moving in the right direction around making it okay to say, I'm not okay. 
this is totally unfair for me to ask you with less than two minutes to go, but can access to uh, and, and ready access to psychological care reduce demand in other areas of health care? Oh, no question. Again, we got a whole other show on that, but boy, do we have research that shows the impact of psychological interventions uh, reducing healthcare costs. Um, I, at one point, we had a study that showed every dollar that's spent on psychological services reduces healthcare costs by somewhere between three and five dollars. Uh, you look at all the chronic health conditions. Um, we can either prevent them or we can reduce severity. Um, there's definitely good bang for your buck, good cost effectiveness. We just need to work on getting uh, better access to those services proactively, um, let alone, you know, backlog of services is mowing. So there's my pipe dream goal. We probably won't get there in 2023, but we'll get there one of these days. I feel like there's so much more we can be talking about, um, but uh, I leave Always. the Listen, invitation wide open. In February. There you go. You I'll leave the invitation wide open, and we'll definitely be chatting in February. Uh, Dr. Janine Hubbard, a pleasure as always. Uh, enjoy your snow day. Thank you, Linda. You too. And we'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone.